Welcome to Model Rail Radio. I'm Tom Barbele, and this is being recorded live on Skype January 11th, 2020. Happy New Year, people. Model Rail Radio is the internet's only live recorded radio show where the topic is the hobby of model railroading. We have Mike O'Dorney on the line, but just before I get to Mike, I caught up with a couple of listeners when I was in Australia. I caught up with Jim Gifford. Unfortunately, Roz wasn't available. And I also caught up with the professor. And the way in which I caught up with the professor was literally my wife and I landed on our last day in Sydney before we flew back to San Francisco. And we were in central Sydney and the smoke and congestion was just horrible. And my wife said, why don't we go to Manly? And I said, if we go to Manly, do you mind if I get in contact with the professor? And she said, fine. So as anticipated, with very limited organization, Michelle and I were able to meet the professor in Manly in some very crazy pub (laughs) and have a conversation with him for about, I don't know, an hour and a half or something. We we had stuff to get back to in the city. But yeah, just a wonderful chance to catch up with him and also a wonderful chance to catch up with Jim Gifford. Now, unfortunately, Jim Gifford has had a flood in his house and thankfully, Jim and I had arranged just a quick meal with his family, his son and his wife. If we had had a barbecue, it would have had to have been called off because of the flood through his house. Now, in addition to this, my wife and I experienced firsthand the fires in Australia, and the fires have absolutely devastated large parts of Australia. They've also devastated a series of narrow-gauge, you know, collections and a variety of model rail and full-scale rail-related things. Um, But, yeah, if you are aware of what's going on in Australia currently and you would like to help, I'm currently donating to the Australian Red Cross as a means of doing it, because you can donate in the US to the Australian Red Cross. But yeah, the devastation is very real, the smoke is very real, and having been there and having experienced it, my mother had her 70th birthday equidistant between Canberra and Sydney, which was smack bang in a series of fires. So we spent about six days watching the fires in real time to work out if we needed to evacuate. And unfortunately, my mother's birthday had vastly fewer people because there were fires locking both the north and the south. It was relatively interesting getting people in and out associated with that. So very real, very real experience. Wonderful catching up with the professor. Wonderful catching up with Jim Gifford. I went into the Orient Express as well and dropped uh, quite a bit of change (laughs) on some Orient Express rolling stock and a locomotive, which we'd actually experienced in South Australia. Now, aside from the fires, my wife and I had a wonderful trip. There were rail components to it at various bits and pieces, But just seeing the Victorian coast and spending time in South Australia, absolutely and utterly untouchable. So now I've given my update. Mike O'Dorney, do you have New Year's resolutions in the hobby? Do you have anything that you're, you know, starting afresh or anything that you're going to be experimenting with in the hobby this year? Well, I'm still pursuing the module Mm -hmm. and and I have... I I have a module. It started out about a year ago where I said to one of the club members, I said, um, and I was doing the switch lists for a module club running sessions. And I said, if we had industries on this corner, because you know, the corners are owned by the club, we could have more switching because when I make up a train, I could make up three really good trains rather than having, you know, one super good and one okay train uh, to switch. And, uh, he says, do you want to do it? And I said, sure. And he says, tell you what, don't take this corner. And he pulls out this little used corner, which is a, it's actually a hundred. <laughs> wow. And he said, put something on it. Uh, however, 
you are limited to three inches. Mm. And it's not and it's three inches up. It is three inches down because mm. it fits into fits into a trailer into a slot. Mm. So uh, so I can go up about a quarter inch, and I can go down about two and three quarters. So what I did was I made a mock-up of the module. Now, mind you, it has legs that fold up. Mm. So when, when the legs that fold up, there's only a few areas that are a full three inches deep. And there are other areas that are maybe an inch deep, maybe an inch and a half. So I made this cardboard mock-up, which is a duplicate of the module, and cut holes in the top so you can look through the top and see where the legs are and where you can put industries. Hmm. And, and once the funny thing is you can talk about this at meetings all you want, but once you show up with a cardboard mock-up exactly. or something, yeah. people come up with ideas. Certainly. And so one of, the, one of the other members, and to sort of step back, Half of the club are people who like to run their trains round and round, mm -hmm. which is fine because to me, the roundy roundies serve three purposes. One of which is they pay dues, which means <laughs> if they did, my dues would be twice as much. Yes. I said, the second thing is they build modules. Mm -hmm. So if they didn't, there wouldn't be as many modules. And they do mm -hmm. build modules with industries. They just don't switch them. I switch them mm -hmm. and switch them. And um, the third thing is, is they do create trains to get in the way. <laughs> and if you're trying to, and the uh, dispatcher calls you and says, "Get off the main line because I got a train coming through." Mm -hmm. And it's an important part of an obsession is dealing with the through trains that are in the way of you trying to use the main line for a switch lead or a place to park unused cars or something like that. So, mm -hmm. uh, you know, that is life. I have done things in the club like if you're familiar with a module, there's usually a couple of crossovers and. If you know how crossovers work, you know, single crossovers, that they tend to be in pairs. So one side of the crossover will hold about two cars more than the other side. In other words, when you cross over, you leave a piece of straight track that is short, and then the, then the other side is longer. So I had been in the habit of using the long part and setting the turnouts so that any through train has to cross over to get around my cars. Mm -hmm. The dispatch has been telling me not to do that because I can only block the... I can only block the what they call track two, which is the one not on the aisle but farther in, and I have to leave the outside track for the, the roundy roundies. So, um, so I can't do that anymore. The uh, gentleman who is talking with me extensively on this module is one who likes to do switching, so that's why I listened to him, you know, quite carefully because we're on the same page. Mm. And he said you can make a clay pit, which is a totally below ground industry. And I said you're right. I can have you know, all kinds of front-end loaders and dump trucks and conveyors and stuff like that. And, you know, blades from snowplow-type machines and stuff like that lying around. And uh, and it never goes above the, the level of the module. So I've been working on that. And I have, I have three other industries that are essentially as if the clay pit abandoned sections of the old clay pit. These companies moved in and used them to store scrap metal, coal, fuel, um, telephone poles, uh, machinery, stuff like that. So... Hmm. I've created four industries on this module that that are viable industries and and they don't exceed the three inch you know thickness so to speak. So it's been mm. a fun project. Now, after doing it, I have a fr bunch of friends who inherited a bunch of modules and right out in Stockton, which is only an hour away, and their standard uses a five and seven standard like a lot of people, and then for their branch line they use eleven inches back. Mm. In other words. You have 
two main lines, and then you have a space for industries and stuff and passenger stations. And in the course of making this corner, I had a siding for an industry that was at 11 inches. And I said, you know, I'll put this exactly at 11 inches because if I ever meet up with these guys, I can use this corner on their you know, module. Yeah. So, so I, I tend to make modules very universal. Mm-hmm. Um, um, I practically, um, you know, I practically design a module where when you plug it in, it can be anything between 12 volts and 240 volts and <laughs> these DC to 800 hertz, <laughs> and, uh, but not quite that bad. But I tend to, I tend to make things work well with other, um, with other, uh, other clubs. And mm. you know, I live, I live equidistant from three nodes of model railroading: Silicon Valley, the East Bay, and Sacramento. Mm. And and uh, for some, for some odd reason, and um, you know, not odd. It's uh, it's certainly you know ascertainable that I live in an area called the Tri-Valley, mm-hmm. which is an area that does not attract technical people. It attracts business types. So uh, the number of model railroaders here is a lot smaller than you would expect. So, um, and, and um, so I, I, know, I know most of them. In other words, there's 12. <laughs> I, know, <laughs> I know most of them. The nature of the beast is if you want to go with a module, you're going to drive you know, at least half an hour. Hmm. So, so, so my new year's is kind of geared towards making use of about half a dozen modules such that when I am done, I will have a small switching layout for my own use and a good collection of modules I can take to the club. And I, I don't know if you followed a guy named Robert Petaud out of Fresno. Mm-hmm. He built a, he built a switching layout that's 12 feet long, 18 inches deep totally manual all five or six switches are manually driven um knobs in the front and he has a switching layout and it brings it out to all the conventions and it was in model railroad or about three or four years ago hmm. and it's it's a larger version of that so uh so anyway i am i'm having i'm doing a lot of modules and my my goal is to get at least one certificate on the uh achievement program this year so do you have a do you have a, a possibility yeah the, the first certificate is what's called the golden spike Mm. And it really doesn't count, but it's something to do to get your name on the board. And mm. uh, uh, it's kind of like preseason football. And uh, it, uh, I'm going to use this module that I'm working on. And uh, I did such a good job on the cardboard module, I'm going to keep it and wa- power it up mm-hmm. and have an actual powered cardboard module in addition to the real one for the club that gets modified. You know, the cardboard one, I've, I've built it myself so I can claim it as a golden spike. The the club module is clearly a modified piece of somebody else's property. So it doesn't count towards the, uh, you know, the, uh, model railroad. It would, it will count for the, um, modifications. They can mm. be considered structures. So I could get, I, I may enter that in the uh, local division contest and see if I can get in a, a merit award for doing a really good job on the clay pit, uh, with a lot of detail and a lot of, um, prototype realism. But, uh, but by and large, the, um, cardboard module would be the one i use for the golden spike interesting interesting well mike o'donny you know how we do things we've got a number of folk that have called in i think there's going to be a bit of an australian flavor i suspect for at least the next hour or so uh, but please stay on the line and if anything comes up you know what to do hi uh, sounds good i'll stay on the line and by the way if the gentleman from port kembla the steel mill in port kembla comes on it'd be great to hear what he has well i think that is john Garrity, he's up next. So, oh, great, great, great. Thank you. Very good. Looking forward. Oh, yes, yeah. 
perfect timing. You basically gave an intro. Wonderful. Thank you, Mike. I'd like to welcome on a gentleman who, having given the intro associated with the Australian fires, no doubt has had more smoke than some uh, in the past few weeks. John Garrity, did you realise I was actually on a whim able to catch up with the professor before I flew out? I was hoping that would be the case. It was a miraculous uh, situation where just the general level of pollution and other related crud in the CBD in Sydney was too great. My wife said, why don't we take a ferry to Manly? And I said, well, if we take a ferry to Manly, we've got to meet someone. So, <laughs> <but> <laughs> thankfully, thankfully, my wife already knows the professor. They already get on. Well, in fact, the funny thing was I went off to order... I think I was ordering food, and I came back, and my wife and the professor were already engaged in a rip-roaring conversation. So, yes, clearly these two uh, get on well. But, you yeah, know, I was thank- very thankful that I was able to actually catch up with the professor. Uh, it was a wonderful chance to, and really completely on the fly. I called him at 3.30, um, and we were having potato wedges at 5.15. So <laughs> <laughs> it all worked well. together. It all worked together. And yeah, caught up with him. Um, very little model rail related stuff, mainly associated with his job and this kind of stuff. So, but yeah, always, always good to catch up with him. So I can let you know that that box was ticked off, but the smoke and the other stuff in your part of the world, how are, how are things currently for you? Uh, realistically, I've probably got out my front door and looking up the, the street within three mile of me, the only part of Australian bush on the escarpment that's not burning within 500 mile Mm. Uh, if you look at any of the maps there's been a lot of activity west of sydney around the blue mountains north of sydney up behind gosford yep a lot of stuff up the top end of the hunter valley Mm -hmm. earlier in late late later last year but earlier there was a lot of activity taree right up to the queensland border and beyond Mm. uh what's happened over Christmas, New Year, a lot of the activity has been south of me mm-hmm. uh, between the Victorian border. Uh, the fire got up to Nowra before it took an abrupt left turn and headed inland. Mm-hmm. Nowra is within an hour of where I live. Yeah. Uh, there are, and it's a, Nowra itself is quite a, a heavily built up suburbanised area. Mm. So we, the fire took a, a turn with a change in the wind and went up over the range. Unfortunately, it got into some of the other suburbs yep. around between basically Maroolan and and Bargo, Berrima, and Mossvale. Yeah, I was in Mossvale over Christmas to give you a sense of where I was. So Okay, well, yeah. <laughs> hey, if I'd have known you were at Mossvale, <laughs> well, I was, I was only 45 minutes away up Macquarie Pass, but I'm Macquarie still, Pass would have been me. shut because of the bushfires. Exactly. <laughs> Believe me, we were in kind of bunker state, just watching everything in real time with the view. I mean, the closest one we had was about 15 kilometers away from us, which was a spot uh-huh. fire that went crazy initially and then died down. But we were kind of encircled within a, you know, 100 kilometer radius by a couple of quite interesting things that, yeah, could have shut down the Hume and actually did shut down the Hume at various points. So, yeah, exciting times. Yeah, well, uh, the railway line south got shut for a short while, but it's now open. Hmm. The one out west, as you head out towards Lithgow, it's going to be shut for months. Yes. Uh, literally, the fire got in and it, it cooked all the wiring alongside the track yep. and took out all the signal wiring. 
Yep. It's going to take them weeks to relay the stuff. Yeah. Uh, and that's doesn't account for anything else that went up. Yeah. Uh, Lithgow zigzag has been damaged again by yes. bushfire. Yes. Uh, I don't know if anyone's been keeping an eye on it, but on their Facebook page, uh, there's been damage at Clarence. They've somehow or other the station survived. They've lost their main office building, uh, and the Dunny needs a new roof after the, the uh, timber rafters all got cooked and the roof is now inside the, the brick structure of the building. So whether they can save the brick walls, I think, is being looked at. Mm. I don't know what other damage has been. I think State Mines was near missed. Mm-hmm. That's at Lithgow. Bottom points at Lithgow on the Lithgow zigzag was near missed. Mm. Uh, it got to within a well reasonably close of it. There's a photo on the on their Facebook page showing kind of smoke across the the tracks from where their main depot was. Mm. I don't know of any of the others that's been hit. No doubt there's been some of the smaller ones where there's been museums in railway stations and yes. things like that yeah. that could be could have been severely damaged, if not lost. Yeah. Um, you know, it's too early for that type of stuff to come out, unfortunately. Certainly. I mean, it's an ongoing situation, right? So Yeah, it's not out yet by a long way. Yeah. And realistically, the area around Wollongong, I think the RFS has been very, very thankful that it didn't go up. Hmm. Uh, because it's probably the biggest time bomb we've got left in New South Wales at yes. present. Yes. If it gets away in Wollongong, Wollongong's a reasonably narrow, skinny place. If it comes down over the range with a real good wind pushing it, it's going to stop at the ocean. Mm. Uh, I was a high school kid in 1968 when the last big bushfires went through Wollongong. Mm. We've got a lot more houses mm. in a lot more places that weren't around in 1968. Certainly. That are really just targets yeah if you look at some of the damage that was done down south around bateman's bay maruya places like that where it actually got into the towns yes things aren't good and they're not going to be good for a long while yeah i'm just kind of looking up something uh i can give you a rough count on what the actual damage is so far i'm just kind of uh scrolling down i'll bring it up in a minute Mm. it's until we get some serious rain, this is an ongoing mess. I mean, the circumstance in Mossvale while we were there was that we did have spotted rain. We had days yeah. that were in the, you know, high 30s, or 30s at least, and then we had days that were in the teens with rain. And we actually had the same experience as we did the um, road through Victoria. We ended up at a place called Port Ferry, I think, and yep. uh, 42 with winds. Yep. And then come about, we went out and got fish and chips. It was starting to cool. By the time we were actually eating the fish and chips in the hotel, uh, rain, heavy rain. Yeah. <laughs> but the rain, which are the feedback I've given people here, was not enough to put out the fires. It just, it's not. Yeah. So. Yeah. Um, you wind up with a hollow tree uh, with the wind blowing in one end of it. Hmm. The thing acts like a blowpipe. Yes, exactly. Uh, you wind up with the, the inside of the tree getting hotter and hotter and it's throwing sparks out the other end like a Roman candle. Yeah. Now, if you've got a wind of, let's say, 40, 50 mile an hour pushing it, those sparks go a long way. Yes, they do. And yeah. a lot of, if you've got hundreds of these things lying around that have been 
torched on the way past. Mm. That's where a lot of these you know, bright, sparkly bits floating across that look good on TV are coming from. Yes, yeah, certainly. certainly. And each of those bright, sparkly bits can land on a dry patch of grass and there goes your backyard. Yes, or your house. Uh, it's, that, it's that quick. The yes. houses have been lost mainly through sparks getting into the roof. Yeah. And you won't know you've got a spark up there till the roof goes up. Yeah. And it can happen blocks in from where the fire is. Certainly. Uh, Canberra learnt that one the hard way. Yes. Uh, a few years back. Yes. As it, as it stands, casualty count, fatalities. New South Wales is 20. Mm-hmm. Victoria hit four today after they lost another one overnight. Mm. And South Australia's four. Mm. We've still got better than 100 fires going and probably half of those have got fire perimeters that are too big to put out. Yeah, certainly. Hectares burnt. New South Wales was 3.6 million, and I'm betting it's closer four now, if yeah. not more than. Yeah. Victoria was 1.2. South Australia was well over the 100,000 mark, but that's ongoing with Kangaroo Island in all kinds of strife at present. Yes. Uh, Tasmania's 8,000. Queensland was 250,000. Mm. And that's since August. Yes. Um, you draw that out on a map. That's an awful lot of California and up into Washington that's gone. Yeah. I mean, to be clear, when I was in, when I was in Australia, the size of the fires was certainly something that was heavily factored in. The fatalities in California were greater. I mean, I think they're still greater summation wise, um, in the most recent one in Northern California. So the situation in California was very much people were just completely encircled and large groups of people, well, you know, tens of people were killed very rapidly. What I found fascinating, not dwelling on the fact that this isn't a contest, is that <laughs> the Australian, so at my mother's 70th birthday, one of the people who attended was instrumental in the 2009 rewrite of the whole fire system in Australia, which was fascinating. Yeah. I spent about, you know, 40 minutes talking to him about the changes that they made. The firefighters from Australia have gone to California, California to Australia. There's cross-pollination between these two groups of firefighters. So the folks on the ground that are actually fighting these fires and updating the policy of how people are dealing, like the, the actual people with the hoses, are dealing with the fires, is thankfully being cross-pollinated. So these disasters, as they happen, California, Australia, at least we're getting people who are literally the ones who are in front of the flames communicating and sharing information. So irrespective of the politicians, the media, or all the other related stuff associated with this thing, the actual individual firefighters in groups are training each other, thankfully. Um, so the experiences that we have here, and that obviously that happens down in Australia, thankfully, there's some shared knowledge that's going on. And I think that's, from my experience, the greatest hope that's come out of this thing is the thought that irrespective of the loss of life and the ongoing damage to property, at least there's some shared collective knowledge that is being communicated between the two communities that I obviously have some strong connection with. So, John Garrity, I think we probably should talk about model rail rating at some stage. Yeah. So, well, my model rail rating's been on hold because it's been too darn smoky to work yeah, in the driveway outside. Horrible. Absolutely horrible. Let's, let's talk about potential. Let's talk about the potential for this year. We have talked historically associated with the stuff that you're going to be working on with Coromel, and we've talked a little bit about 
some of the structures and some of the new things that you're adding to Caramel. Do you have a plan for 2020? Do you have a things of things that you'd like to have completed by the end of 2020 with Caramel? Um, unofficially, yes. <laughs> well, as you're, as you're just talking with if me I, if, here, I, if I don't publish it, I can't get caught out, can I? Very good. That's very true. If you don't want to discuss... But let's, I mean, let's blue sky this thing. What, what is the most that you think you could achieve with Caramel this year? Um, probably at its first public exhibition. Mm-hmm. Um, I would be reluctant to send it out twice this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, given some other stuff I've personally got happening later in this year, mm-hmm. which is a little bit of travel. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying where, I'm not saying when. I don't want to telegraph punches. And I had a friend come home yesterday from overseas and someone had kind of smashed in his back door and helped himself to uh, his motorbike. So I'm, Fair enough. I'm saying, yes, I'm going to be away, but I'm not going to tell you where or when. <laughs> Fair enough. And more it's over, like it's like that old American saying because yeah, you know, the the house is this house is protected by a shotgun. I'm not going to tell you where or when I am. Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've got some travel coming up, uh, and we've talked historically about the structures. Anything else that you haven't shared on Model Rail Radio that you want to share? Uh, no. Look, it's mainly refinement now. Mm-hmm. There's one major structure to go. The rest of it's kind of adding detail bits around the place and, and growing a few more trees. Hmm. I still haven't been able to work out how we're going to do at the, the bottom of a creek without the thing bubbling. Yes. Uh, you know, I'm on my third test rig and, and none of them have worked hmm. using different types of, of the Mod Podges, the resins. Mm-hmm. Uh, the problem I've got is it's on a reasonably steep angle and the dam it up at the end of the layout approach it isn't going to work because of the angle of and the fall on the layout mm. so stay tuned on that one i'll let you know when we've got it licked yeah i mean i think what's interesting is that i don't know whether some of the things that are used here in the u.s have chemicals which you just can't which just aren't legal in australia i mean i think there's a lot of stuff that's sold here that basically you know people can make flamethrowers out of a variety of other things. So I'm not really sure if the level of flammable chemicals that are used to make water in the US would be necessarily accessible in Australia. It's one of the funny things I find going back to Australia is, you know, about a fifth of the stuff you could get easily here, you could never imagine getting in Australia. (laughs) So anyway. Well, some of the commercial stuff coming in is available in the US, like we can get the Woodland Scenics Mm -hmm. type stuff. Yeah, okay. We can get other type resins through the art store type things. We've got our Mod Podges and acrylic, uh, what do they call it, acrylic gloss type stuff. That's all, you know, in some cases it'll travel under a different name. Mm. But it's all reasonably available, but so far none of it's worked. Mm. Um, I think that's general feedback, though. I mean, that's my sense here. You may need to... Are you connected with Craig Biscay at all? There are a few folk in this country that have spent long... I mean, Craig Biscay has a substantial pond in the centre of his layout, which actually has a steamship in it. I mean, I think there are there are folks... Most of the people I'm thinking of are on the East Coast who have made substantial water bodies in their layout. Now, the small creeks and this kind of stuff is not really what you're talking about here. 
But have you um, ever communicated with Craig Biscar at all? Does that name sound familiar? The name sounds familiar, but yes, what we are after is more of a larger type creek. Exactly. Rather than a pond. Yeah, but I think I think the pond technology will get you what you want here. Okay. So small creeks, easy. Larger creeks, basically, you need to move to the same technology as the pond. And my suspicion is they use two-part epoxies rather heavily. My suspicion is what he ended up using was like a two-part epoxy, but he did actually have to flame the results, I seem to recall, to get it. So stay tuned. I will get you the information. Um, or more importantly, I think, you know, Craig is a is a frequent listener to this, and we have lots of listeners. In fact, let me put this out. For folks who are on the recording, I see Mike Slater and others who have done water previously, do any of you have any feedback, any ideas, anything that you could provide to uh, to John Garrity? Neil Erickson, Mike O'Dorney, Lawrence Eggering, I'm sure you've got some water features on your layout. Anyway, any any of the folks, please feel free to jump in here. Oh, John, uh, your your brother from Hawaii. <laughs> hey, Neil. Uh, hey, brother. Uh, I um or Mike, sorry. I uh, have used the uh, Envirotex, and and not really with great success. It seems to creep up the sides, and um, and if you don't get the mix right, it takes forever to cure. So I'm looking really interestingly at uh, Chris Adams' blog lately with regard to the uh, what is it? The Woodland Scenics new method, right? They have a new product out. Okay, I haven't heard of that one yet, but I'll go looking for it. Yeah, check out Chris Adams. I think it's called Saybrook Line, something like that. So I'm okay. watching that carefully on Facebook. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the American Chris Adams, not the South Australian Chris Adams. I need to point out. No, um, no. Anyone? Happy, any... New, happy New Year, Tom. I'm going to I'm going to bow up for a second. Okay, Neil. Pleasure chatting. Um, anyone else who tried Mike Slater, um, Mike O'Dorney, Anyone else trying to answer at that point as well? I was Tom. This is Larry. Larry, what are I, your thoughts? I, I have um, two large water bodies on my layout. Uh, one is where the Schnossage spill is, and the other is a swamp um, area we did that's about, it's triangular shaped, and it's about 18 inches across at the widest point, and about seven inches at the narrowest, and it's about a foot deep. Uh, as in depth, uh, the depth of the pores, we did four even pores that are about a quarter of an inch each. The, um, the real trick with it, we used, um, the two part epoxy. Wasn't, well, I've done it both ways with two part epoxy and with Envirotex, but we used, um, something we got at Michael's and the name eludes me, but it was, um, clear shine or something like that. And, um, it's it's a two part epoxy. It was available at Michael's, and uh, I'll look it up and post it on the uh, Facebook page later. Uh, it's been in there for almost fifteen years, and um, the biggest problem I have is keeping it clean. I have no shrinkage and no um, pulling away at the edges. I haven't had to do a single repair. Uh, it's just keeping the top of it clean, you know. And a little Windex does it, but I have so much junk in that swamp as far as logs sticking up and gators and, you know, guys in, in um, boats and things like that, that, you know, it's just tedious to clean it. But it works quite well, um, and and it's held up very well. So right. it's relatively smooth, though. And in, in my case, I didn't go with a lot of ripples. The hardest thing was 
the mixing. You, you can't use a high-speed mixer of any sort. You have to kind of treat it like a, um, a folding method with a cake batter where you okay. fold it on top of itself, you know. If you do get some bubbles in the pour, you can um, take just a standard hairdryer, which I have no use for, and uh, kind of lightly blow it across the top, and the bubbles will come to the surface and they'll just pop. It's actually quite impressive how it, it works. And I, th- I believe your, um, your mate Luke over there has done, done a couple of videos on it too. Okay, I'll go back and have a look at, at Luke's uh, stuff. Um, yeah, and it's not Envirotex that we use, but it's, it's real similar to it. And, and like I said, we bought it at Michael's, and actually we bought the first quart at Michael's, and then we ended up buying a couple of gallons on eBay. Um, uh-huh. The the 50-50 mix is critically important. Get uh, And what we did is we bought at um, Home Depot, we bought some paint mixing cups, and they have pre-measures on the side of them. Uh-huh. And we threw them away. So <laughs> they were like, uh, now realize how long ago it was. They were like 30 cents a piece then. They might be a dollar now. But um, the part A, you can use over and over and over again. But once you mix it into the part B, forget it. Just throw it away. Use another one, you know. Hey, Larry, uh, this is Neil. I I wondered if you had tried a a propane torch to heat it up and get the bubbles out because I've had good luck with that, too. uh, We did it that way. But honestly, the blow dryer worked the best. But again, we were looking for a very smooth, glossy surface. So... I'll put up a photo of the chat in the chat of what what I'm looking at. Uh, it'll be there shortly. I did a couple of small areas also with just a the two part gloss epoxy, and um, it works quite well and it's held up very well also. But I think it's cost prohibitive. It's very expensive, and we did a um, we did a pour at the hobby shop layout some years ago, and it um, it. We had one batch, even though we were just uber careful mixing it 50-50, we had one batch of hardener that didn't work. And there was nothing we could do about it except scrape it out and start over. Uh-huh. So I, I guess that could happen to anyone. Yeah, my problem is, uh, and this could be part of it, uh, we've used sandstone textured paint along the bottom of the river. So instead of having a relatively smooth bottom like as if you, if it was made out of plaster, this stuff's like sandstone, literally. So that's leading to stuff getting trapped, and maybe the hair blower approach might work. Well, I think we've so, had the hair dryer and the blowtorch method both advocated for by different participants today. So. Okay, I, I do have an unused butane one used for kind of creaming or caramelizing dessert type stuff mm-hmm. uh, uh, maybe it might get broken out of its packaging very good <laughs> but do you actually i mean you have access to the stuff in australia that was i guess my first question do you think you can get access to the stuff i've got access to some of the woodland scenic stuff i'm not too sure whether their latest one is available so do you have access to envirotex uh i think so i'd, I'd have to go through a bit of a hobby shop search to find it but fair enough yeah i think so okay 
Well, I hope, John Garrity, we've been able to give you value for money associated with calling to Model Rail Radio today. It's always a pleasure catching up. And, uh, yeah, if folks post, I mean, you're not on Facebook, right? So if folks post on no. Facebook, I, I'll take the diligent job of scraping the information and emailing it onto you. Yeah, I've just found a photo of, of the creek. So okay. it's going, it's going into, it should be there. Okay. Here we go. Oh, okay. Interesting. So, and the thing turned itself up 90 degrees. <laughs> okay. There's a there's a trestle on the top of that. <laughs> Good to know. I don't know how they did that, but I hate it with electronics being too smart. Amen. Okay. The, the other question from about Port Kembla. What was all that about, please? Oh, I think it's just a way of summarising who you are. Okay. Oh, unless Mike O'Dorney, I think he just likes hearing you speak. That was the way I read that. Oh, okay. Yes, well, it is. I, I enjoy all the stories about poor Kembla. I really like steel mills, and um, it's, it's such a fascinating mill. And I enjoy your your knowledge of steel making, and I find it quite interesting to talk to you. Yeah. Well, I had twenty two years there. Started out on coke ovens, did blast furnaces, uh, rolling mills across into tin plate, uh, then into production planning, uh, and was doing the steel mill scheduling. Uh, before getting across into computers. So that's a very precise summary of 22 years' worth. <laughs> well, it, it paid off because I certainly enjoy your wisdom. Yeah. I keep telling people when I was working there, you know, you can shoot someone and be let out in half this time. Amen. Oh, yeah, there you go. <laughs> okay, well, thank you again for all your contributions. No worries. I'll um, go mute and uh, listen in to any, everyone else. Terrific. Thank you very much, John Garrity. Pleasure as always. Thank, Stay safe. Thanks very much. Happy New Year to all. Talk to you soon. Take care. I'd like to welcome on, although we've already heard from him, I'd like to do it formally, Larry Eggering. You posted on the Facebook group the Model Railroad uh, survey, and you then promptly deleted your post and said, since there was nothing positive being said about this, can you talk about your experience with the Model Railroader survey and why it was important to you? Well, I think the most important thing is it. the survey gives a an opinion of the readership of the Model Railroader. Mm -hmm. And when people start criticizing it that, that A, don't buy the magazine or read it, mm -hmm. then I just, I said, why bother? But you know what I, I mean. I, I do. I do buy the magazine, and I do read it. Yeah. And I like. I mean, for example, when Duncan McCree's stuff first right. made it into Model Railroader, it was like. I mean, for me, in part, it's about reading about friends. You know, it's like right. when Jim Gore's stuff is published. Um, obviously, Bernie Kapinski is, you know, <laughs> frequently there. I mean, there are so many people I know that are also featured in the magazine, and. There are a bunch of new and interesting people that have never, you know, never entered the pod sphere um, that are also in there. So I'm not anti-model railroader at all. I think in terms and of the hobby, it, yeah. It wasn't directed at you. Okay. There was a couple know. of other comments that you may have missed. Okay. I must and, have missed them because and, I, yeah. And anyway. I just, I, in in a, uh, another podcast, I'm, I'm wording this carefully, uh, <laughs> there was a... Um, a bit of a dialogue against model railroader all the time. Uh -huh. 
and I still subscribe to it. In fact, I subscribe to Model Railroader Video Plus mm. on top of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been in the hobby for entirely too many years, probably, mm-hmm. uh, and do this as a business. And I still find value in almost all of the magazines. There's a couple I don't read as often as I sh- I do others. Mm-hmm. I won't mention any names. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's interesting to see, well, first of all, the, the <laughs> this thing used to give you uh you know, when you sent your entry and you got a five hundred, you know, it was a chance at a five hundred dollar uh shopping spree at Kalmbach or whatever. Yes. You know. And uh, of course that now has gone away with this this format. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's okay. But I always found it interesting to see what people thought of the products that were out there and see how it compared with my opinion, mm. you know? And um, so I, I, I've been trying to keep things on a, a positive note. Mm-hmm. And Fair I enough. actually scared, uh, shared the soundtracks request that you vote for their product. If, if you like it, mm. uh, that was the original post mm. and uh, being a soundtracks dealer and installer and believe in the product. That's why I did it. Certainly. So, what I found fascinating was that there were a number of UK offerings that were smattered in there. And I thought that was very interesting because I, mm-hmm. you know, I don't see UK offerings in the magazine normally and I don't see them covering UK related stuff. And they did have, um, the Blue Rail Barkman offering in there, which I obviously voted for. Hopefully mm-hmm. we'll get David Reese back on. Um, and look, I, I think model railroader as a thing used to be more of a satire of itself than it is now. I think the shelf layout community they've embraced. I really like the two rare low scale stuff um, that Tony Custer has, you know, championed. And I think there's a lot of, you know, there's there's a plurality in the magazine which makes it something that, you know, is worth talking about. I would like to, however, have the opportunity to have write-ins for certain things. And I think certainly the stuff that you're doing and the stuff that Ron Kleiss is doing and, you know, a variety of folk in the hobby that I've had a personal connection with, I really rate what they're doing, right? So mm-hmm. that was the only... And look, my view is Facebook is Facebook is Facebook. This whole thing could digress very rapidly. Um, so I do <laughs> exactly. appreciate why you deleted it, because I didn't have a chance to read all the posts <laughs> associated with it. But I actually like to have the opportunity to vote through it, because I'm a subscriber to the magazine, and I actually found that some of them really quite interesting associated with the offerings. The scale train stuff seems to now just be completely main street, right? So whatever they've done in the past three to five years has firmly cemented them in the hobby. And no, I found it genuinely interesting on a number of the sections, the blends and the mixes that were available to me. So yeah, I'm, I'm kind of halfway. I mean, I don't know where the extreme naysayers were, but I certainly was hoping that you'd maintain the post. Um, so other people could participate. I mean, particularly people that subscribe to the magazine. Well, it would be no problem for me to share it again, and uh, we'll just moderate it. How's that? Okay. Uh, yes. Yeah. You know, I'm maybe I'll you know say you know this is informative. Please you know keep your opinions to yourself and to the survey. You know, uh, that would be rude. So I probably won't do that. Yeah, I mean, might I think it. it's a difficult. I mean, there have been while I've maintained the Facebook group for Model Rail Radio, there have been maybe half a dozen times where I've had to come down very heavily, usually in extreme cases of bullying and other, like, really apparent behavior. But I think in general, it's one of the few communities on Facebook that I maintain that is pretty, very, 
but it's pretty well self-policed. I think everyone yeah, there is, do it. yeah. It's one of my favorite areas to read in, quite frankly, uh, because of that. Yeah. Um, and I post quite a bit in there. In fact, every time I do a video or anything, Model Radio is the uh, second one I put it in after my pages. Mm -hmm. So, I mean. Thank you. And, uh, well, I mean, we go way back, Tom. This was, <laughs> you know. We do. And, and um, at some point, we'll meet we'll meet in person, and that'll be a joyous occasion. Look, we have three potential vacation locations. Florida is one of them, and it's going to be a big Florida one. And if I get down to Florida, I will certainly be uh, be meeting you. So I'll let you know. I um, sadly was not able to connect with Clark and PJ when they were here. They were driving through, and then due to traffic, they were even delayed, and mm. I was working out of town. It was... It's just a bad day all the way around. But, yeah, Michelle uh, is talking about 10 days in Florida. So I oh, think with 10 well, days in Florida, there should be no excuses. Oh, yeah, absolutely. If it's not in Jacksonville, I will drive to, to you. How's that? So Wow. I can get I can get to Miami in six hours. So, Gosh. you know, I, I've traveled farther than that to see friends before. So, Gosh. You know. Well, I think it's probably going to be closer than that to you. My okay. wife, uh, let me just say my wife is a Disney file. So, ah. <laughs> okay, so you, you know about the de Blasi Egring Disney discussion, right? Uh, my view, look, it's more of a war. Ralph and I, <laughs> Ralph and I, I've, I've, I've actually been within an hour of Ralph on multiple mm -hmm. occasions, and unfortunately, we've never been able to actually meet. He's one yeah. of these, he's one of, he's a character in the Hobbit, let's just say. So. He's a dear friend. Yes. And, uh, the, and I keep telling, he's coming down for Christmas to Disney. Mm. And, uh, my post on his page was, bring some of your dusty money, Florida needs it. And, uh, I, I have lived in Florida since 1985 and have been coming to Florida since the mid seventies. And as of yet, I have never been to a Disney theme park. Mm. So. And it's not that I hate Disney. It's just uh, hasn't been in the cards. My wife and daughter have both been on multiple occasions. But, you know, it's just uh, so maybe uh, we could meet at Emeralds for dinner or something like that. That sounds very, very civilized. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think we could do, you know, we, it would be a fine establishment to get thrown out of. Very you know? good. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I usually pay the people off to avoid being thrown out. That's my role in these things. Exactly. We can very go like them. Yeah, very good. <laughs> and unfortunately, I've had to do it far too frequently in my life, let me just say. So moving on from this, um, in terms of this year, any New Year's resolutions? Any? I mean, I know you're now, you're now embracing the retirement thing. <laughs> any, any New Year's resolutions? Anything you want to discuss on Model Rail Radio? Um, yeah, one little thing. Uh, it popped up the other day. Um, it's hard for me to realize that it's been almost eight years since I made your boxcar. Mm, it has. And uh, it just, we go way back. We do. Because we were friends long before that. Believe know? me. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, so one of the goals I have since, okay, so a couple of my customers have mandated that retirement's not really an option for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, as in, no, you can't do that. So, um, I am going to do some more snossage box cars this year. I Wonderful. haven't done any in about four years. Wonderful. So I have the booth set up. I have the empty, uh, the model kits to build. So 
That's one of the goals I have. And I started working on some things on my layout that just needed some tidying up. Okay. And uh, maybe by the end of the year, I'll be even closer to having it uh, fully where I want it to be. Very good. Very good. Well, that okay. sounds like a perfect New Year's resolution. So thank you very much. Oh, Larry. thank you for having me once again. <laughs> Your knowledge in the hobby is worth having you on to jump in associated with water and other things. So if you have similar questions, please feel free to jump in. Always a pleasure catching up and happy new year. It was, uh, I did in fact re realize what it was. It was called magic water. It's the product. Magic water. Wonderful. Magic water. Terrific. And it's held up very well. Very so. good. Thank you for calling in and uh, please down the line. We'll see how I things will, go. Sir. Take care. Thanks, Larry. like to welcome on look there are a few people i think of as saints in this hobby but over christmas i was contacted by a school friend who i went to school with in australia who now lives in louisiana she has two young daughters that are absolutely train obsessed and because they're train obsessed they managed to break a small piece of a lionel train who would i contact but the one and only mike slater a gentleman who knows everything in this space you were able to help mimi i think within a few minutes she ordered the thing. There was a follow-on related discussion. Firstly, thank you very much, Mike Slater, for this assistance here. What Do you have any New Year's resolutions for the hobby? What's going on in your model railroading hobby for the new year? Well, I think I mentioned on the last podcast that uh, I bought a, uh, a 3D printer. And over the holidays, I was playing with it a little bit. Uh, um Wish I could remember the name of the web page offhand, but it slipped my mind. But I did discover a um, a uh, web page where you can purchase STL files, which is the for file format mm. that is used in the 3D printing world. There are half a and dozen of these sites, and I certainly I was doing some experimentation. I can't remember the ones that I used, but I used at least three that had a wide variety of you know stuff that you'd want to 3D print, basically. Yeah, so I'm assuming it's one of those. Yeah, there's there are several that are are you can download the files for free. Then there's this one I stumbled across. Uh, you can there's a bunch of free uh, STL files, but then it also gave the the creator the option of actually selling uh, the STL files. And I have no problem buying an STL file if it's something that I could see practical use in. And this one creator, uh, he had a uh, model of a uh, 645 EMD prime mover, either in the turbocharged ver variant or the non-turbocharged variant. And, of course, I bought each version. And <laughs> over the time period of playing with my 3D printer, I, I've probably printed out a, a dozen or so of these prime movers in both variants. And uh, then also discovered that the gentleman also is starting to design and upload uh, railroad uh, trackside signals. Mm. So, and a lot of these files aren't that aren't that expensive. I think that, like, the EMD Prime Movers were, like, $6 for all the CAD files needed to print a, a single Prime Mover, and these trackside signals were uh, 2 or $3 for each different signal mm. type. So, in the long run of things, if you were to print a bunch of the trackside signals for your your layout it actually is very inexpensive by the time you know you figure you don't have to have to sit down and 
measure and 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 design the signals. You know, this gentleman's already basically done it for you. Mm. So that's um, been one uh, uh, big advantage. Uh, also, I've uh, uh, today actually I kind of got out of a little bit of a slump and uh, uh, actually did a little bit of modeling. Uh, oh. Uh, several months back, I purchased a uh, brass passenger car set of the uh, Chicago Burlington Quincy's. Uh, earlier, it was known as the Twin City Zephyr. Then later, it was known as the Nebraskan Zephyr. And mm-hmm. uh, a portion of this uh, uh, train set, the uh, Train of the Goddesses, uh, is at the Illinois Railway Museum. And the Train of the Gods actually still existed in the uh, Saudi Arabia uh, stored in a rail yard, mm. uh, but uh, uh, the thing that I've been kind of been putting off a little bit is actually doing the interior lighting on each of the passenger cars, and I think I've discovered a way of, of doing it using the under cabinet uh, LED light strips, uh, unsoldering uh, every other LED because you know the. Uh, the amount of LEDs on the light strip are a little bit more than what's needed. And then uh, soldering some phosphorus bronze uh, uh, uncoated wire along the sides of these LEDs to reconnect them. And then I'll be using an NCE lighted uh, decoder to mm-hmm. then light the, the LEDs. And then that way I can also uh, uh, turn each of the passenger cars lights on and off independently of each other. Mm-hmm. Wonderful, wonderful. So, quite the uh, quite the project list then. Yeah, <laughs> it's amazing this um, this nature of the personal hobby shop. I'm starting to realise this more and more that if I just collect the projects that I haven't yet done, I could have at least a couple of years worth of stuff to do, and you seem to be in the same shape. Uh, I probably have a few uh, decades worth of stuff. But... <laughs> <laughs> Very good, Mike Slater. Very good. Well, thank you for calling in today. In terms of your other miscreant friends, in terms of the traction folk and other things, are you, you going to catch up with them, or is the weather just still too cold and miserable in your part of the world? Um, there there would have been plans of uh, going uh, to a swap meet with them tomorrow, but uh, right now we're kind of in the middle of a real bad snowstorm in mm-hmm. act in our area. Uh, but we a group of us did get together uh right around the first of the year when uh, a mutual friend of ours was planning on moving to north carolina and was selling off some of his traction mm. uh, related equ- equipment so uh three of us uh, uh hopped in a vehicle and uh, actually i'll take that back four of us uh hopped in a vehicle and uh, went to the gentleman's house and uh purchased purchased a lot of his equipment uh, so it Wonderful. would stay in this geographical area Wonderful. and not go down to north carolina uh, but, uh, and then also, uh, uh, we also acquired a bunch of his, uh, uh, framework for his layout that he would have otherwise, uh, thrown in the, in the dumpster and that. And, uh, right now that's some of the sections are going to be converted into some new traction modules. And then, uh, the other portions of the, the layout will probably, uh, be set up inside the uh, railroad museum that I partake in and mm-hmm. maybe try to organize some type of a, a, a youth group activity layout for uh, the youth in our area and that. But uh, some of that still has to be kind of worked out with getting the boxcar insulated and, and stuff like that also. Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, Mike Slater, all the best with the uh, heavy snow season and hopefully uh, 
you'll be able to thaw things out, but it sounds like you've got lots of projects to work on inside anyway, so always a pleasure catching up. Oh, thanks a lot. I'd like to welcome back on Neil Erickson. Neil, I'm not sure if I flew over you <laughs> as I went back to Port It might have been. I think they tend to avoid the islands of Hawaii now for some unknown reason. Um, in terms yeah. of your model railroading hobby, do you have any New Year's resolutions? Do you have anything that you, uh, you know, you're changing this year? Anything you want to update the model railroading community about? Some of the things that you guys have been talking about are also what I've been looking at. But in general, I've decided to come out of the closet, so to speak. Right? So mm. everybody at work now sees that I have trains and I put them up during Christmas. Wonderful. And um, I get a lot of comments because the public comes and asks, you know, and that kind of thing. So it's been really interesting. Um, and everybody basically said, well, that's really cool, you know. So, so I show photographs of what I'm doing in my layout. And so the fact that it's very historical based is also really appealing to a lot of people. It's, it's a lot of fun. And my, by the way, I'd forgotten to mention last time that my daughter was down in Queensland at James Cook University um, on an internship, and you guys probably crossed paths. I don't know. No, I, we didn't get to Queensland this trip, unfortunately. Otherwise, I would have looked up Martin Jenkins. Um, but yeah, ah, we, right. Yeah, so unfortunately, no, we didn't get up there. So at any rate, I'm I'm trying to get the word out that I'm not a weird hermit doing toy trains in the attic, but I am. <laughs> yeah, I'm weird train guy doing toy trains in the attic but, but anyway i'm trying to write more and, and just basically when people ask i'm more open about it i don't try to be i mean generally I'm, i think most of us are fairly shy about it but i'm, I'm maybe i'm more so mm. fear of uh whatever what can i say okay so but you mentioned dave reese and mm -hmm. i noticed they had an announcement recently and i'm very excited about that can you talk a little bit about the announcement well, he says that the new dead uh, blue rail trains can be used for dead rail, but it, more importantly, you can link it with a DCC sound decoder, and the app will be able to control all of the um, the, the CVs, the DCC functions, right? Mm. So it will have onboard sound controlled by the, uh, the the app, and I think it's for Android and iPhone, right? Mm -hmm. So, I mean, I'm an iPhone guy, so I don't know about Android, but I, I do enjoy it. And I see there's so much potential of bringing young people in the hobby that that's just an intuitive thing. Mm. Just to grab an iPhone and, and begin um, controlling a train sounds really appealing. Mm. So, yes. No, I think, I mean, look, Dave Reese has been on the bleeding edge of this thing for, you know, five plus years now. And I think. Yeah. Um, the more collaboration, I mean, obviously he's collaborating with Duncan McCree on stuff as well. I mean, I think the more collaboration with folks such as Duncan and Dave is really important in mm -hmm. this hobby oh, because they both have, yeah. you know, they both have no nonsense kind of engineering perspectives and they get stuff mm -hmm. done. I mean, historically, and that's, that's actually, done, yeah. Dave was the link to you. That's how we met. We, we were all out to lunch together. If you remember in Port yes, um, yes. Portland, I think it was. Yeah. Yeah. So, <laughs> you decided so to listen to this. This rambling thing after based on that introduction. So, yeah. <laughs> Actually, I really enjoy the show. I like everybody's point of view and things that are going on. Um, in particular, I really like the thing about the water because I'm working on an area that um, will be marshy and, and Larry's experience. And uh, hopefully John will post something about what he's up to because I'm a little nervous about doing this, but I'm modeling around the area of Pearl Harbor, mm -hmm. an area no, known as Waipahu. 
where there was a junction to the branch up to the middle of the island where all the pineapples were grown, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, that area was at the time, prior to you know the U.S. Uh, Pearl Harbor in port there, was pretty marshy. You know, mm-hmm. it basically lapped up on the shore and it was pretty quiet. So I'm anxious to give that a go, but um, I'm a little nervous about wrecking all the trestles I've built. <laughs> well, yes, I think yes, the the trestle poor related stuff. I mean, I think Craig Biscoe and certainly also Dave Falkenberg, there seem to be a number of folks in the hobby that have uh, just had to redo trestles. I think that just comes with the territory, right? (laughs) But many you haven't as well. And maybe I've named the wrong ones who had to redo the trestles. But yeah, I think the the general consensus is start small, create a test sample poor area. Yeah. And make well, it did lots those. of water in the past, and I'm not really, yeah. never really been satisfied. But I mm. mean, it's it'll be all right. I just need to. It's a bigger area, I, so you know, it's not a creek or anything. This is a big inland water, so it should be very, fairly interesting. By the way, you know, you 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 haven't. We were talking about Dave Reese, but one of my main interests was dead rail, and mm-hmm. and certainly the um, the controversy, or the no, I won't say controversy. The conversation about it has become very hot lately right? in what regard i mean i've never found it particularly controversial but i know a number of people want to make it controversial well yeah and the, the controversy is batteries right you know you're having batteries you're charging batteries they're mostly mm-hmm. lipo batteries they're probably cheap lipo batteries they're not like the kind that you get in your cell phone so but I mean, even, no, was, look, let's stop it let's stop it my view is yeah. that actually the quality of lipo batteries has changed dramatically in, in large part thanks to people like dave falkenberg who is far too modest to actually talk about some of the stuff he's done with LiPo <laughs> historically. Um, but also, you know, I mean, I think a number of people have played with them. And my view is, um, I mean, what's the concern here, that they explode? Yeah, well, they could catch on fire. And, of course, there's other reasons. People like um, Joe Fugate, you know, is pretty much against the whole idea because he says you can't, you know, if you don't have wires or, or any power to the rail, you can't detect the trains. Well, there must be a way around that. Right? Light? Maybe you could have a low voltage, but Light? then you're still wiring. No, signaling. Well, I'm, so I mean, as a, but as a small child, I remember baking light-dependent resistors. All you need is two blocks and casting a yeah. shadow. You can use infrared. There's a wide variety of technologies that will actually acknowledge whether an object is in yeah, space. Yeah. So, well, it may not be if there's a single car on the space, but yeah, that's possible, right? And I and I was thinking about um, the 3D printer because I also picked up a cheap used one, and I haven't gotten the darn thing to work yet. And there's 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 things about slicing and you know downloading things yep. from things things averse and others that I'm just I wish I had more time to play with it. Maybe someday I'll retire. I don't know. My wife purchased when a makerspace fell through here. My wife mm-hmm. purchased a eighteen foot long sewing machine, like an <laughs> industrial sewing machine, yeah. which had stepper motors. Originally, was controlled by a small PC and then a desk book or whatever they call them, and now is controlled by a tablet. Um, okay. She completely, I mean, she completely stripped this thing down, completely rebuilt it, found all the broken parts, replaced them, fixed it all. I was used mm-hmm. purely for for the muscle occasionally to lift stuff up. <laughs> but actually I like um, it. my, my perspective yeah. with regards to these things is if you have a technical mind and the time, yeah. lots of these things will just, you just work out what's broken, concentrate down on that, fix that move, fix, move, fix, move, fix. And then eventually it'll work. So, I mean, I think the nature of a lot of these things is um, s- some parts are mechanical, some parts are electronic. 
Sometimes the electronics go, sometimes the mechanical goes, but you just work your way through it. And certainly to see what we've been able to do, or what, there's no we here, what my wife has been able to achieve with this thing. I mean, it has taken up our dining room for, you know, 18 months, but just amazing (laughs) programmable sewing, basically. Uh, You know, in retrospect, I wish I'd I'd bought a new one simply because it would be nice to have some success because, I mean, basically my whole life has been drawing and CAD drawings and, and, um, uh, creating 3D objects and sending them to Shapeways, no big deal. But doing this from beginning to end is, is all new to me. And, and, uh, I'm glad there's people on the, on this site that, that maybe can lead me in the right direction. Oh, man. Uh, and, yeah. And, and hopefully, um, I'll post something about my, what I'm having trouble with. Maybe, um, one of these guys can, Mike, Michael Doherty or somebody can tell me what the hell is going wrong. Yeah. Most definitely. So Feel know. free to abuse. The Model Rail Radio Facebook group for your uh, technical issues. <laughs> I mean, that's what's there, right? So, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, I have I've sort of resorted to buying things off of Shapeways simply mm-hmm. because, like, I wanted to get some semaphore signals, and guess what? All those are available in O scale. Yep. Oh yeah. And I mean, they're reasonably priced. I guess not great, but better than buying an NJ International in O scale. It's crazy expensive. Yeah, it's funny actually where the 3D printing from the expensive 3D printing site is actually cheap. <laughs> anyway, well, moving we'll see, on from yeah. that. anyway, <laughs> right, right, right. So, thank you. I haven't been out in the garden. It's raining the beat all here. The buckets of rain lately, probably five inches a day for the last three days in a row. Mm-hmm. Everything's flooding like the rest of the world. Um, so, but last time we talked, I think I was sitting out in the garden working on my you must certainly you know, were. the railway. You must certainly yeah. were. But uh, I've I've sort of taken a break from all the. Um, the electronics projects, and I, I found an old mainline models boxcar kit, and so it's been occupying my time this week. Wonderful. And it's good fun just to get out and, and do something physical, right? Wonderful. I, I, I'm assuming that's a sound effect from you, accordingly. I'm sorry. That was a piece of sandpaper. I was thinking about it while we were talking. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, what is it? A nail file we all use now, right? Because you can, you can buy these in bulk. Apparently so. Oh, it's a pleasure. At any rate. You. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. And I'm just, I enjoy listening in. And so if you don't mind, I'm just going to lurk in the background. That's exactly what you're intended to do. So please enjoy. (laughs) Thanks very much. All right. Hello. I would like to welcome on Brenton Spackman, AKA Spacky. Much has gone on. I was able briefly to have uh, a dinner with Jim Gifford. He provided some update. I'm always enjoying the photos of your cat as a fellow cat owner. Well, multiple cats. In terms of the model railroading hobby, what are your plans for the new year? Any new ideas? Anything that uh, is captivating you? Or are you still just going completely lighting crazy currently? Oh, probably just completely going lighting crazy. We've got some more trips in that plan with Don mm-hmm. through, through the year. Doing the chain tracing thing. We're going to go to Yorkies Crossing. Wonderful. Chasing trains. Uh, I in the uh, Christmas period, I spent a week down there with Don. We well, we had a because it was hot. We had a couple of days. We just sat down and done some models together and shared some ideas mm-hmm. on how to get our lights and that to work. So I'm going to try some different resistors on the lights because the decoder sends a signal to it. But, I, but when you turn it down on the decoder, it doesn't um, work properly. Mm-hmm. So if I can drop the current flow. But keep the decoder sending the signal. I reckon my lights will work the way I want them to work. Wonderful. So I'm going to try that and see how we go. Uh, other than that, yeah, I don't haven't really done that much. Just sitting here with Jock at the moment, so he will have a chat with you in a minute. Hey, Jock. 
and and they uh, cat nut and <laughs> I went into the Orange Express and I dropped quite a bit of change. I have I don't I don't know the the full spec, but I have an NR8 PN no stars. That's what they say on the side of it. But um, what is it? It's a, a National Rail uh, locomotive. I saw one. We were in Keith, I think, and uh, a couple of them went past. So when I went into uh, Orient Express, I picked up one of those. And of all the offerings that they had, I, I dropped quite a bit of change, actually, on their um, you know various passenger cars and various other things that they had on offer. Uh, and I had a chat with a fellow in there who I hadn't met previously. I think he's probably a new... Well, the last time I went in there was probably about four or five years ago. Um, but, yeah, it was nice going back into the Orient Express. Jock, do you have audio? Oh, yeah. So, in terms of the hobby, what's going on with you? Anything, any updates for the new year? Any new ideas? Anything that you're going to be following? Oh, I've got a few things in the pile, but nothing, nothing really has changed since last year. I like, I like to redo my layout again. Uh, originally, I was saying it was a DC layout. I, I want to pull it completely apart and, and redo it as, so, so I can run properly on the DCC because I'm having, I'm having a lot of trouble. Mm. Yeah, and that's what that's one of my projects for this year. If it turn, if it happens, it happens. Fair I don't enough. Know, I'm still still buying plenty of models and yeah, still enjoying what I'm doing with Specky. Very good. Yeah, and and trying to get over the hot weather. Yeah, believe me, I experienced some of that on location myself. But yeah, and you yeah. you guys are you guys are not fire affected, right? Do you get any smoke, or are you okay? I had plenty of smoke. Yeah, we're getting a lot of smoke from Kangaroo Island and uh, probably New South Wales at the moment, especially when we get a lot of southerlies. Yeah. Yeah, it's not, it's not good at the moment uh, in this part of the world. Well, we've been very lucky, I think, in South Australia that the hills and that haven't gone up here, but it's been mm. pretty horrific in the other states. Yes, it has. Yeah. And Kangaroo Island is a real loss, actually. I had a friend of the family who we caught up with who just left Kangaroo Island before the fires arrived. And, yeah, that that is devastating. Yeah. It's not, it's not good. Wouldn't be much to burn there now. They'd just about be all gone. Yeah. Well, thank you both for calling in. Always a pleasure catching up. I did have an opportunity to uh, catch up with Jim Gifford, his, his son and wife as well, uh, which was very nice. And obviously, Jim is dealing with his own natural disaster currently. So, yeah, all the best to Jim. I know he's listening in. But, yeah, thank you both for uh, for participating and uh, look forward to talking to you soon. Take care. No worries. We'll uh, catch up with you later on during the year. Most definitely. Thank you. I'd like to welcome back our Jamie Fenton. Jamie, do you have any New Year's model rail resolutions? Anything you're going to be doing in the New Year? The garden layout? What, what's going on with your model railroading hobby for the New Year? Okay, we'll definitely be um, doing more garden railroading this year. That was a big hit. My sister loved it, mm-hmm. which is really good because she's the, place, the one that owns the place. Exactly. Authorize all the uh, landscaping changes that need to be made, as well as our um, my great-grandniece. Mm. Uh, Viviana is five years old, uh, seven years old, and um, so great-great-granddaughter of my mother. Mm-hmm. But in any case, so they should, everybody likes it, and so we'll definitely get more garden railroading happening. Is I think I think you, I mentioned last time I had the radio control of the live steamer going. Certainly, yeah, I think that was on, that was probably about the last time I called in and mm-hmm. it just got called on. Um, the other thing we did is we got the um, um, 
end scale railroad re- reactivated and reset up again. And it spent most of the summer sort of waiting for a bunch of various other chores that needed to take place around it to happen. So we got mm. that done. Um, the thing to do with that now is to add lighting. Mm-hmm. We have some of the, uh, the lighting kits that you can get from Woodland Scenic. So we'd like to put those in. And otherwise, it's kind of like getting done. Mm. So we have the dilemma of what do we do next? Yes. And of course, we, don't have, we also have the dilemma of not having a lot of room inside. So mm. <laughs> I, can't, I haven't been able to convince my mother that she should really live in the middle of a model railroad. So um, we'll um, we'll have to see what 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 comes what what what, what we can do there. Mm. So otherwise, um, but the only other crazy idea I had just yesterday was I was wondering if anyone's ever made a scale dragging equipment detector, mm. so that I, I actually set it up and it will tell me if like my some of my wheels are off or. Mm-hmm. Some something like that. I wonder if anyone's ever done that. I, I did find that people have done uh, hot box detectors mm. uh, that even go as far as to uh, you know you know count how many axles you have and say no defects. Or once in a while they'll say you know one defect. You know it, it's things like this. So people have done that, but I haven't heard of anyone doing dragging equipment detectors. So mm. think about that one. <laughs> Otherwise, um, it's about it. Hmm. How would you do that mechanically? Would you put a slight incline and just measure time, or how would you actually do that mechanically? Well, typically the um, dragging uh, equipment detectors have things that uh, mechanical objects that stick up uh, to the level of the rail, uh, inside and outside the rails, mm-hmm. and they are designed so that when something comes along, say a dra- dragging brake equipment or something mm-hmm. that triggers it, it'll actually strike that. Um, detector and push it down, mm. and then that that triggers it. Now there, there, there's a there's a different type of dragging equipment detector that that's that was the first one they came up with, which was called a frangible, mm-hmm. which meant that it actually destroyed yes, something. Yes. So you had to go you had to go out and uh, send the signal maintainer out to replace it. So we don't want to do one of those, mm. <laughs> even though it's a much simpler concept. So so one approach is to try to do it mechanically. Um, mm-hmm. if, 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 I'm trying to think if there's a way because you almost want to like have little cat's whiskers that stick up, and yeah. then they, when they get bent, so <laughs> thinking all kinds of crazy ideas like uh, you know could you make a, put little fiber optic strands in that that you know that you can measure how much light is reflected from a reflective tip at the end or yes things like this mm. we'll see <laughs> it's, it's a fun fun design problem which i think i came i started on yesterday so we'll see if i can come up with a i mean obviously another approach is to try to figure out if you can sense that some object is filling that particular space certainly you know optically or something but you don't want to have the optical sensor the, the, the most important point is you don't want to make a derailment situation worse. Mm. And uh, that's very true on the prototype railroads and uh, on our railroad as well. So we want to be able to tell the operator that something's the matter, but not, um, you know, cause, cause, cause the thing to really goof up. Mm. <laughs> so anyway, design problem. Interesting. Fun. Yep. I mean, that is fascinating. This is Neil. Mm-hmm. Just are you thinking of using an Arduino to, to to take the detection and have some sort of way to speak back to the the, the engineer or yeah. conductor? Yeah, that would be a good way to do it. If you know, use an Arduino. Uh, and I suppose you could even have an Arduino send out a 
message through DCC or probably be just enough to have it go beep and light up. <laughs> yeah, because uh, it's not as necessary. I mean, yeah, you could you could do it. In fact, I think some of the people that have done this with the hotbox detectors will actually have it give a report. Hmm. But in my case, I'm just I would just I actually like to have this thing let me know. <laughs> so you want it to actually work. I mean, you don't want it to simulate that there's some dragging equipment. Yes, I wanted to actually detect dragging equipment, or mostly in the case would be a derailed uh, wheel and things, because we've yeah. been getting those, and we've been you know we've been troubleshooting and trying to filing rail down and getting things better, but they still ha come and bite us. And <laughs> so I mean, it'd be interesting to try and make one that actually works. I'm following so, along here, Tom. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm thinking mechanically. I mean, I just by chance have collected a lot of curious. And let's just say masculine music boxes <laughs> in my, you know, collection of, of stuff I have in front of me. I imagine like music box teeth just at track level, maybe even slightly raised from track level, where anything would catch it and make maybe an audible sound. But yeah, it is interesting the nature of the problem because a lot of times these things just naturally will create short circuits and other things potentially as well. So it is all very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ideally, um, I mean, I, I'm, uh, at one point or in, uh, I've had this fantasy of, of making a type of track like the Kato track that mm. actually has has uh, uh, smarts inside. So you just plug it all together and then each piece of track is its own block and then you can run DCC rather than DCC and only route the power to right under the engine and then have it also tell that if there's an engine in, or something's in that block. <laughs> so you just plug this railroad together and then you get it all wired together with all the cool remote control you'd ever want to have. And mm. that's sort of a fantasy. And, um, I, and unless you, unless you can figure out how to make it so that uh, the chip that goes inside it costs, you know, 50 cents each. <laughs> it's never going to fly. But, yes. Uh, it'd be kind of, you can imagine if you, uh, if you if you were building stuff like that, you could actually build smarts into the track. You could conceivably, uh, you know, build defect, defect detectors in, you know, that is just one of the things you can plug in as well as um, all the other types of things you can control. Mm. So we'll, um, we'll, we'll keep dreaming. That's, that's what I can do. <laughs> So, a tie into the final thing that I wanted to talk about, you mm -hmm. talk about the, the space, the planning of space, potentially what you'll do. I mean, I'm, I'm not sure, I can't think of the gentleman's name, but there's a British, a very famous British, you know, layout designer who advocates stacking layouts on top of layouts on top of layouts. So, uh -huh. I'm not sure if you've heard, but we have a layout design contest for 2020. Um, yep. Now it's for an eighteen by twelve foot room, but uh, and it's in HO, which is not really applicable to you in this circumstance. But I mean, do you think that uh, you know? Have you entered our previous layout design contests? No, 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 okay. no. I would, I wouldn't do it because I'm so good at it that everybody else. Would. <laughs> no, actually, I, I, I actually do enjoy designing layouts, and I've got one of those CAD programs mm -hmm. that you know lets you, uh, you know, stick pieces of track together. Is, and, is this more so your forth. size, though? Because I remember, I mean, previously we've done shelf layouts, but this is a decent room. And, I mean, I recall not the last place you were in, but the place you were in prior to that in California, you actually had quite a substantial layout that meandered through, right? Yeah, yes. I had one. I had, we had that. And, we of course, had a bigger place than we do now. Mm. We probably lost about 400 square feet mm -hmm. moving 
uh, out here, basically. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, and so it's been um, so. Yeah, fine. I'd love to have enough room to put it. I guess the real ache and urge is to get HO going again because mm-hmm. <laughs> we've got all this great HO stuff. Yeah. And, and so we've switched over to N, and we like N a lot. And N's actually a little more reliable, if you ask me, for some weird reason. Mm-hmm. But it's horrible to work with if you want to operate, you want to couple on a couple things. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you need to fix a, a DCC decoder and you're not a microsurgeon, you're kind Certainly. of stuck. So the um, – so getting HO back would be a great, great thing. Mm. We've I mean, we been having fantasies of putting up a garage in the back and stuff. Yeah. So all, all I need is some money. <laughs> <laughs> As we all do. As we, As we do. all do, yes. And so um, and you know, now being out here in Chicago and being kind of quasi-retired mm. is nice. But it means that there's my, my chance of having the great big Silicon Valley payday is pretty much passed. So in any case. We'll do what we got with what we got. And the, the nice thing about the garden is we do have plenty of space outside. Wonderful. So that is an area of expansion. Now, have you gotten anywhere with your fantasies about garden railroading, Tom? So I mean, let me let me say where I am with these fantasies. Um, okay. We, <laughs> but my wife has uh, curtailed a variety of possible spending projects, and now we are focusing on the house for this year. Although we may uh-huh. we may have a vacation in Florida. As I let Uncle Larry know, um, okay. so yeah, my anticipation was I w- still want to talk to the fellow who does. Uh, there's a local manufacturer of live steam, and I wanted to have a chat with him. And he is producing interesting English locomotives based on Kent Garden Railways, a place I've actually been to physically. So potential is there, and thankfully the cost offerings are still within budget for me making a. Uh, you know, out-of-the-box purchase, potentially. But actually, what we are doing this year, my wife is concentrating more on the garden this year, and that, I think, would facilitate garden layouts going forward. So mm-hmm. the, the plan is to concentrate on the garden, get it in a state where, you know, long it's very well positioned for long runs of track and actually switching sections as well. But it's just having her, you know, take that component. Yeah, I think there could be a live steam purchase this year. I don't know if there'd be track laid for it. Um, I'd be relying on other locals that do have live steam, you know, setups to take it along to and, uh, you know, burn my fingers, so to speak. But yeah, that's yeah. potential for this year. Let's just say potential. I always hope so. It'd be interesting to see what you come up with. Yes, yeah. And you never know. I mean, I think we still have Chicago on the cards as I, I was invited to talk somewhere near your part of the world. So. My hope is maybe this year we might come through, if not perhaps next year, um, so we can so. catch up on location. And uh, maybe if I come through in the summer, I can burn my fingers on your uh, <laughs> locomotives. Well, glad to have you do that. What I won't have to do. <laughs> okay. Anyway, I'll talk to you soon. Thank you very much for calling in and providing an update. Oh, Take care. You're welcome. See you later. <laughs> As alluded to in the last segment with Jamie Fenton, Mine Mount Models and Model Rail Radio currently have a layout design contest. I am doing this from the site, ladies and gentlemen, because last time I went off script and I'm going to have to actually re-record that whole thing associated with the contest. So, Mine Mount Models, Model Rail Radio, Layout Design Contest 2020. The rules are 18 feet by 12 feet in a room. That's a room size, 18 feet by 12 feet. 
with a door. You can put the door anywhere in the room, um, preferably on a wall. Actually, you put the door on a wall anywhere in the room. Let me say it later. Please include the following structures. Randy's Auto Repair, which is a four and a half by five inch structure. So four and a half inches by five inches. And Poles' Plumbing Supply, which is an eight inch by 11 inch structure. That's a bigger structure. Use the room space intelligently. You could use HO or HON, whatever you want. Email your track plan and optional supporting documentation to tom at modelrailradio.com or one word modelrailradio.com. And the submission date is March 31st, 2020, midnight Pacific US time. The prizes are quite extraordinary. I always feel like I need to contact the IRS to let them know that these prizes are coming through. Okay, creaky chair models. We've had on Uncle Larry himself. Creaky chair models is giving a stereo sound module as part of the prizes. Mind mount models will include Randy's auto repair, which is a small kit, and Paul's plumbing supply, which is a large kit. Uh, I've already given the dimensions. And here's the big one <laughs> in terms of cash value. Ralph Renzetti is offered offering a weathered diesel, where the diesel locomotive must be submitted by the winner to Ralph. But even that, in terms of cost, I think it's probably one of the higher cost prices. And for runners-up, there are going to be various mind mount kits. There are a bunch of kits, um, and we're just going to fill that out as it happens. So, important date, March 31st. Uh, midnight Pacific, the email address tom at modelrailradio.com. If you have any questions associated with the contest, get in contact with me as well. Because, yeah, I've had questions so far. I'm happy to answer questions uh, associated with the contest. And that's that. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing what's submitted. It's a much larger space. And I think um, certainly the folks that had entered the prior contest were much smaller footprints. So I'm really excited to see what people can dream up with this. Uh, because, you know, it's always a really nice opportunity to not only see what people are doing, but also award prizes. And I know Ron Class always has a lot of fun with this as well. So anyway, thank you all very much for, for listening in today. Um, it was wonderful to get away to Australia. I'm sorry I couldn't catch up with more people. I've got a lot of correspondences. Uh, John Garrity's mentioned where they say, ah, you were just, you know, 50 minutes from me in any given direction. I remember when I met with uh, Jim Gifford, actually, uh, Dazzy J was literally over the hill doing something else. So, yes, I was in the presence of, or I was in the vicinity of a number of listeners. Apologies, the nature of these trips is mainly catching up with family and also, in this case, mainly making sure my wife has a wonderful time as well. And we did. We had an absolutely wonderful time. It was just really amazing. So thanks to everyone for listening in. Thanks to the folks in particular this evening for participating. Good evening. Good evening, Good night, Tom. Tom. Thanks, Tom. Bye, Tom.